When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Monday, March 8th. And we are coming to you on the heels of the announcement that we will have fans back in Wrigley Field for opening day. A small limited number, uh, so you know that ticketing situation is probably going to be a bit of a mess. But it's an indication that we are inching ever closer to the end of all of this and inching ever closer to hopefully at some point this season being at full or at least closer to full capacity at beautiful and historic Wrigley Field, which is just really good news, Brendan. You know, like I, it, it, we'll see when everyone's able to get out there and how the tickets work. And, you know, I think obviously hoping that that initial run is is safe and, and everything goes well, which I believe it has out in Arizona and everywhere else that they've been doing, limited capacity fans. But it's, it's nice in a real-life perspective, but also from a baseball perspective, to have that mm-hmm. light at the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel, which is being back at beautiful Wrigley Field watching the Cubs playing baseball. And it's nice to even see them in spring training. I mean, you see home runs hit on through the, you know, grass. You got fans running to get it. It seems like, to a degree, normalcy is somewhat approaching. And you think of someone like Javi Baez who feeds off that and how that could affect his year even from the opening, you know, first few games. So it's exciting. Like, I feel finally for the first time that there there is light at the end of the tunnel here. So hopefully, you know, they're starting at 20%, I believe. Hopefully, you know, the vaccines keep going faster than uh, originally anticipated, which it sounds like it is. And then maybe by the end of the year, we'll have, you know, almost full capacity, which will be awesome. Far be it from you and I to prioritize spring training wins and loss records. I don't know. I know the Cubs have only lost a couple of games, but I actually don't even know their complete record because it just doesn't matter. But... I like what I'm seeing from from this team, and of course, it's only the first little bit of spring training, and it's spring training, but this is what we have, and I think especially coming off a year like 2020 and, you know, not really being sure where these guys were going to be at, uh, some of them having not played in in a while and certainly not been seen by us in a while. It's good to see some of these guys back out there. And I think in the early going here of spring training, we've seen a lot of stuff that you're going to need to see for the Cubs to compete for this NL Central crown that they are defending. And for them to 
hit whatever their ceiling is. And when you look at some of the things that you would say, okay, like, you know, we know that the Cubs didn't go all out this offseason. Maybe you'd want some more depth in certain places. But if these guys do what you want them to, or they hit their ceiling, or they they hit that 99th percentile outcome, this is a rather interesting team, right? Despite how weird this offseason was. And you're seeing some of that in, in spring training, at least so far. And I, and I think uh, there's a lot of different places to start, but I, I, I think perhaps the most interesting is what Nico Horner's doing. And if you've been paying attention at all to these spring training games, you know that he's been red hot, uh, 9 for 13 to start this spring training slate. He's got a homer, three RBIs, stolen two bases. And of course, I, I've said it a million times, even just in the last couple of weeks, you know, you don't want to get too bogged down in the results, uh, especially f- when you'd have to take a look, you know, I don't know uh, if Nico's getting hits off a bunch of AAA guys, right? If it's just a bunch of guys pumping fastballs to get their arms loose, you never know. But when you have a positional battle and when you have someone as young as Nico involved in that battle and, and having some pretty, I think, specific things that you wanted to see out of him, he's out there against the competition he's out there against. He's getting the at-bats that he's given. And for now, He's doing exactly what Jed and David Ross said, and that is mm-hmm. for somebody to come out and just take hold. And I think we talked about going into spring training that you could kind of tell, and it's sort of obvious, that they'd like that person to be Nico Horner because he's a first-round draft pick. He's so young, and he is uh, ideally the future of second base for this team for a while. And that looks to be what's happening. But Brendan... We always preach not to get bogged down in the numbers, so I don't want to look at this and say, oh, he's 9 for 13. He's got a 692 batting average. This is perfect. This is exactly (laughs) what we wanted. That's not really the key. The key for Nico is that what we're seeing in his approach and what we're seeing from these batted ball results, and, and I think everyone, you know, you and I especially are, are in agreement on that. What, what's important so far, he ripped a home run. He's hitting some other deep fly balls. But it's a diverse batted ball portfolio that we're seeing so far. He's hitting doubles to the alleys. He's going the other way. He's hitting balls down the line. He hit a ball out of the ballpark. That's the key for Nico Horner. We knew he would be a guy who could make contact, who would make better contact. You know, he's not in that similar vein as some of these other top Cubs draft picks, you know, where they're big power guys, maybe have some swing and miss in their game. And, you know, that that balance is kind of the key. You knew Nico would be a contact guy, but early on in spring training, again, it's only 13 at bats, I know, but you're seeing him doing all the things you want him to do at the plate. And, and that is what is really the standout for me so far. I don't care, you know, like, yes, it's cool that his OPS is uh, near 2000, right? That's great. But what matters is he's using the whole field, he's elevating the ball more, he's displaying a little bit of power, it is, it's, it's a more diverse look, and it looks like what I imagine you will touch on here in a second, some of the swing mechanic changes that he's made, and of course this attitude that he has come into camp with, which is, I'm going to make this my job, second base belongs to me, I'm going to be out there 
now we know at Wrigley Field in front of those 8,000 fans manning second base on opening day and and you're seeing it in the early going in the results. A lot of these guys are going through changes and if you do see results in combination with these changes then I think it's worth talking about and I think for Nico it's a perfect example. So he has made a change and he actually stayed in Chicago during the offseason uh, right near Wrigley Field. So he's a California kid, I believe. He went to Stanford. So he stayed in Chicago during the offseason, and he worked with uh, one of the assistant hitting coaches, Chris Valeka. And what he did, and you may notice, was that he opened up his batting stance. And Nico said himself, and this is, uh, I'll quote Nico right here. He said, quote, we worked on some things and opened up my stance a little more, creating space. I'm not so much changing my swing as much as trying to be in an athletic position as much as I can, end quote. And so he's gained mass. He looks bigger. He opened up his stance. He is spraying line drives literally corner to corner, blasting balls to center field. I mean, he's all over the place. So visually, he looks like incredible, right? And it's always in the back of my mind, too. It's like hard to project this guy because he's had almost no minor league experience. I mean, he has never played in AAA. Um, he's faced injuries. He's only had 290 plate appearances in AA, got called up to the bigs in 2019, had 80 plate appearances in 2019 when Javi went down. And then last year, that weird, wacky COVID season, 126 plate appearances with uh, a huge amount of variability from the start to finish. So we don't know really what Nico can do in like a consistent environment when he's healthy, when COVID's not around. And for him, because his hit tool is so good, I mean, he's someone who should be making contact with uh, tiers of a strikeout rate below 20% on consistent um, year-to-year basis. And so with someone like that, if he can have more power and drive the ball gap to gap, you're looking at someone who has a portfolio, like, and we've heard in years past, of like a Whit Merrifield, not to say he's like a Whit Merrifield per se, but someone who can drive the ball with mild to moderate power, who's not going to strike out and is going to be pretty fast. He's in the top 90% of major leaguers who uh, can run the bases in terms of sprint speed. So overall, I think for Nico, this is the best you can possibly ask for for start of spring training. And again, not to get too bogged down by the numbers, but you can look at them when you see changes like this. And having that open batting stance for him, it sounds like, one, he's comfortable, and two, it was some change that the Cubs coaches identified that could help him. So all in all, for Nico, this, this is the best you could ask for. Yeah, and I think going forward here, you know, it'll be interesting to see, especially as pitchers continue to build up their strength and are starting to go more innings and diversify their profiles as we get closer to opening day. Again, it's not, so, it's not about the numbers. Keep an eye on if he's able to continue driving the ball on a line, using the whole field, displaying a little bit of power, and attacking the way that he is. He just looks like a very confident hitter. And, you know, I like if if there is a way for a guy to look like someone who is trying to prove that he is ready to take that next step as a hitter, I, I think this is what it looks like. So yeah. it's... it's I mean, he's got that attitude, man. Yeah. Like, you, you, just, you just said it, but like... I don't know. There's like something about Nico that seems like fearless. And 
Stanford and college baseball is so different than coming from high school or whatever. But I, I do think Theo, when he was the president at the time, targeting some of those college bats like Chris Bryant and Kyle Schwarber. I do think there's something there. There's like there's like this maturity where maybe for Nico going through limited minor league experience may not be that big of a deal after all. Uh, and that's that's a rarity. And so maybe you know he'll make the opening day roster and not let go of the job for the next like six years like I would not be surprised at this point that sounds like a really nice plan and as you alluded to he's also one of those guys who you know uh especially because he's he's so young and and there's obviously so much room for that but like he's one of those guys where he comes into camp and you're like oh this guy's bigger like this guy's put on muscle mass like he he, he you just see it you're like okay I mean, this guy's looks forearms good, look like dude. they're twice the size they were last season well it's funny because like evan and we were talking about this evan Alman of cubs insider he tweeted out uh one of his screenshots that we were talking about and it's just like nico from the neck down and it's funny because he posed a question to a lot of fans like hey who do you think this is and i'm we're getting responses of like david Bodie right. and like big guys are like no this is you're one of the fastest sprinters in major league baseball nico horner putting on i don't know how much weight but like to your point his forearms are huge he looks like he gained a, a ton of mass and that that has to be good i think for him yeah so that's the the situation with nico again like they're you know i think they're going to keep their their cards close you know uh not really tip anything to us until they are ready, you know, maybe to make a decision. But this is what you want to see out of Nico. At least so far, he's doing what he needs to do to, you know, have that job on opening day. Again, there's a lot of considerations here, but, you know, Nico's out there doing everything he can. And if he's able to keep this up, I, I, you know, I'm not really sure how they're going to justify not letting him try to continue that at the MLB level to start the season. But mm-hmm. a wrinkle to that, uh, the Cubs did bring in Eric Sogard. Now, this mm-hmm. is another one of those low-risk deals. Obviously, it's so late in the free agent process. Uh, so it's it's low-risk, but an interesting wrinkle at least to pay attention to because you are bringing over a veteran uh, someone who I think has you know probably come up in conversations for this team a good bit over the last couple years just because he's you know more of a contact guy not as much of a strikeout guy which you know certainly has been the profile that the Cubs have been looking for Um, I gotta tell you Brendan I have absolutely (laughs) zero interest in this Um, I'm with you I, I mean, it could, it could work out, right? It could work it out. It could, like, and it's it's never a bad—depth is never bad, right? Yeah. Especially on a deal like this, you know, if, if you, you know, if you don't want him on the MLB roster, you can see if he'd be willing to uh, stay, you know, in the minors and stick around or something, or you, or you cut him loose. It's not a big deal. Um, but, yeah, like a— 34-year-old coming off a, a really down year in 2020. And, you know, just like th- this, this to me feels like, and again, like they, they haven't like given him the job. Like, so, you know, we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves, but just in terms of what's going on here, like this feels like one of those things where you kind of overcompensate for a need and like a diversification of, of profile where it's like, yeah, he's less of a strikeout guy, more of a contact guy, but he stinks, you know? 
But it's low risk. I mean, yeah, as, yeah, as you yeah. Said, I just, comes, I just don't want. Yeah. I, you know, I always worry about these things that they're going to get some ideas in their head. Uh, you know, that they like want Daniel this to work. Scalzo and two point. Yeah, it's 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 not for it. me. Um, the depth is fine, but I would much rather the three guys that were already. I I just think those three guys are more interesting players. You know, and then they're know. younger, and I think just re- I'd rather the opportunities be going there uh, than Eric Sogard. And that's not to say that other guys that were out there throughout this process, you know, if they had brought Jason Kipnis back, other second base names that were out there, you know, maybe like you see how it works out. And as you said, depth is never bad, but Eric Sogard just doesn't, doesn't do it for me um, at this point in his career. And I, I know that we're, you know, you look at a lot of guys 2020 and it's hard to put too much stock in it because if I'm going to put too much stock in Eric Sogard's 2020 season you know then we're going to look at Javi's numbers and then you know mm-hmm. we just know it's all over the place um but he, but Javi's not 35 yeah years. and he's not Eric Sogard <laughs> yeah so I, I just <laughs> yeah, it's hard not to look at a guy who had you know a, a similar walk rate a similar K rate that he did in 2019 but Everything else was worse. Uh, you know, a 54 WRC plus, just, you know, this just isn't it for me. I mm-hmm. So, again, depth is never bad. And, you know, certainly a guy I think that on a low-risk deal is worth having around. You see what he's got in spring training. If he's showing you something, you know, it, it's worth having around because it's not really costing you very much. But I just... Yeah, this this just isn't for me. I I was happier with the second base position before he was involved personally. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, and I think if if Sogar does end up making the team, I'll, I'll be floored. I think right now with that 26 man roster, if they carry 13 pitchers, maybe they carry 14, we don't know. But if they do carry 13 pitchers, then it's likely going to come down to. Vargas to Mabin, and that's basically it. I, I don't really see Sogard, unless he kind of blows people away in spring, filling that last role. And what we've seen with Nico already, that was one of the points of focus. Like, would Nico even make the opening day roster? Not to say that he has at this point, it's, it's too soon. But if you look at momentum, Sogard just got signed. You don't know, don't really know what he has. And his competition right now with David Bodie and, you know, Nico and, and Vargas, especially Nico, he's already getting outperformed. Right. So I don't really see if you have, you know, the the logic to keep Sogard on this roster. I think if Nico keeps performing well, it's 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 locked up. There's no room for Sogard. And I I, I think the idea is fine, bringing as much depth as possible, but I don't really see it as a consequence. And yeah. I, I actually do, I do have trust that, that Ross in this front office does recognize that. I, I feel as if the way they've handled Nico the last two years, there seems to be an extra degree of confidence in him as a player. I mean, for him yeah. to go from double A to the bigs in 2019, and then for him to play, you know, 126 plate appearances for a division champion in a shortened season is a lot of playing time. So I feel as if like Nico's probably going to be on the roster. And if he is on the roster, Sogard's not going to be on the roster. Some mornings you wake up feeling ready to just pull the covers over your head and go back to sleep. No judgment, of course, but let's make having the most comfortable sheets the reason why. 
Don't love her sheets? Brooke Linen has you covered. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without luxury level markups. Brooke Linen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and taste. And Brooke Linen is so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear. I have their sheets. I have their covers. I love it. By far, one of the better purchases I've made recently. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code CUBSRELATED to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N dot com and use promo code Cubs related to get that $25 off when you spend $100 or more again plus free shipping that's brooklinen.com and use promo code Cubs related at checkout speaking of second base like Daniel Descalso is just always going to stick with me it is and I'm sure you guys are tired of hearing about it but We've just seen at times, and you know, you you don't even want me to bring up some of the other names that we've no, 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 sat no, no, through no, 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 that no. you don't like that they Please stuck don't. with and put in the leadoff spot and all that other stuff. Despite everybody watching the games, going, why do you guys keep doing this? You know, so I'm just scarred from some of that stuff, and I'm looking at a guy in Sogard who, you know, I'm looking at the Statcast numbers since 2015. I mean, this is a guy who's 85 miles an hour or less in exit velocity three of the years since 20. 15 he's been in the bottom six or three percent of exit velocity in all of major league baseball and his 2019 which ended up being a, a more solid overall year is is buoyed by 13 home runs which is more than 10 more than he ever hit in another year so clearly that was one of those you know ballpark situations where the ball is probably juiced and he's running into some home runs. I mean, he had never hit more than three home runs in a season before he had 13 in 2019. So like, that's not happening again. That's not a real thing. That's a complete outlier for a guy that's been in the league this long. And he makes a bunch of weak contact. Like, so again, you know, like I, not to go back, they're not even on the team anymore, but like we all sat through Almora and Descalso and other people leading off and getting tons of plate appearances for this team despite a lot of evidence that that really shouldn't be happening so uh, again as a depth move as a hey here's a veteran uh, with at least somewhat more of a, a differentiated contact profile than a lot of the guys you have let's see what he's got let's you know maybe see if he can impart some veteran you know role player wisdom on some of these guys hey that's great I'm just getting out ahead of this that that I'm like preemptively a little worried about someone like this because I just don't, I don't like these numbers and I just don't want them to get, not that they would do this. And, you know, now we've got a new president. David Ross is only in his second year. So some of this stuff doesn't really apply, right? Like it's not Theo and Joe Madden. So, you know, we'll see what happens as we go forward here in this sort of new, it's, it's maybe a little bit of the same era, but it's a new era. Um, but I just I just don't want them to get caught up in perhaps the vision of what they think Eric Sogard could be to this team. And I agree with you. I, I, I don't I don't think the likelihood is high. I think they're all in on Nico and if he continues to put up the numbers that justify that, I, I don't think this is gonna be an issue. But again, I was just happier 
literally a week ago when we were talking about mm. uh, David Bodie, Ildemaro Vargas, and Nico Horner as yeah. the options. I just don't have very much interest in this because I just don't. I don't think this is a thing. So, 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 Corey, like last year with Kipnis. Uh, he got the exact same number of plate appearances as Nico Horner. Not the exact, I'm being dramatic, but like 135 plate yeah. appearances for, for Kipnis versus 126 for Nico. And remember how good Nico or uh, good how, how good Kipnis was at that start. Right. And he still failed to basically get dramatic. Yes, I, I will. That, that's a good point. And I will give them that. When Kipnis slowed down after that hot start, they did not keep trying to mm-hmm. make that a thing. They they recognize that. So yes, again, I this isn't what they're doing. And I don't mean to put that on them I but I look here, here here's why I'm I'm going into this I don't really think we're going to end up talking about Eric Sogard that much so Brendan and I let let's just get it out now here's what we think right if something changes then we'll bring it back up again but this is the stance and I would imagine it's not going to be much of a thing but yeah the the main point at second base is that Nico's awesome uh he looks really good right now and if that keeps up it's it's very exciting and it's getting back to what I said at the beginning of the show in terms of seeing things that kind of give you a vision of how does this Cubs team hit their ceiling right for this entire offseason even you know after the Darvish trade and everything, we've been pretty consistent, Brendan and I, the entire time that we believe this is a competitive team, that this team has a ton of talent, and that you know perhaps this is a year where you need a lot to go right, maybe more than other years. You you can't necessarily rely on depth or, or the talent, you know, just being so overwhelming that that you can get away with some stuff. Like they 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 got to hit that higher percentile outcome, but there are there are things that you want to see that would lead you to believe that that's possible. And even though the average win projection for them, whatever, you know, these computers spit out is like, you know, what is it, Brendan, 80 to 85 wins, depending on where you're looking, something along those lines? No, a little bit, even a little bit larger. I would yeah. say, I think it's uh, like 82 to 80. So the, there's the talent on this team, I think can outperform that easily. But you got to hit all, you got to check all those boxes, right? And one of them is Nico taking hold of that second base job and being the player that you drafted him to be. Like if Nico is, uh, you know, uh, you know, not like to put like, oh, he's an MVP candidate. That's not, not getting crazy. But like, if he is the type of guy who as this year goes on, and by the time we end the year, he has like clearly supplanted, you know, the role of second base, it's his, and he is blossoming into that player that you drafted uh, 24th overall in the 2018 draft, and and you're seeing it, that's that's a huge consideration for this team and would, I think, drastically affect the way that, you know, if you knew that going in, you'd project this team differently, right? And mm-hmm. you'd look at them completely differently. And I think another one, which we can transition to now, is Jock Peterson, who's dropping bombs so far to start spring training. Now, both of the home runs that he's hit have come off of righties, uh, which is not the handedness that he needs to work on. But again, so what? As long you know, as long as he's dropping bombs against somebody, that's a good place to start. And that's another one where you know, you, you see what happens. Like, it, it's, a, it's a tough hill to overcome. Like, he's he has not had success against lefties. It's not easy to just magically make that adjustment and, and be better against something like that. It takes a lot of time, and a lot of guys don't ever figure out split splits like that. But this is a guy who is on a short deal. 
He's playing for another contract. He is playing to prove himself as someone who's getting an everyday opportunity that he deserves that. And, you know, we've seen before guys kind of just go off in situations like that. And I'm not going to put that pressure on Jock because I think that's a lot to ask of him that, you know, he's just going to be mashing both sides of the plate. Like that's that that would be a massive adjustment for him to make and, and really, really impressive. But we've seen guys have big contract years, have big years when they're out, you know, trying to prove themselves, trying to make them a name for themselves. And if Jock can be that guy in left field, and, you know, put up a consistent approach at the plate, again, that's another one where, like, you look at some of these more conservative projections, if I, if you told me that Nico and Jock are going to, like, hit that ceiling, all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, well, this team is a lot more interesting than we were thinking perhaps at, at one point in this offseason. But I, I don't know what you think about that, Brendan, but I do know what you think about, like, Jock, we were talking about this today, like, Jock is, is a very aesthetically pleasing baseball player. He hits really like pretty home runs. They're often really big and lofty, like towering moonshots, right? And and just the way that he gets into them is it's it's a very aesthetically pleasing thing. I don't think anybody is more aesthetically pleasing than when Rizzo gets into one. And it's just, you know, we've seen it so many times. It's just a quintessential Rizzo swing. He had one the other day that was just like, oh, this is baseball perfection like in a nutshell just put this in a museum like him leaning back and getting into one but but jock is jock is in there he hits it's it's a nice visual brendan i like jock i think he's gonna have to prove himself that he can hit that he can hit against lefties and i have not followed jock's career extensively uh with uh that disgusting team in in los angeles but i do know that over the years he has changed quite a bit and when you're looking at these moonshots that he's hitting, he does have a little bit more of an open stance, a little bit more of a like squatting deeper position in his stance than what you saw from years ago. Uh, I have to go back and look at what he looked like last year. But that's all to say that Jock is open to changing because he's done that throughout his career. He needs to hit lefties. That has been his crutch. He has not hit lefties over the last three years. He has one home run against lefties since 2018. It's not going to cut it for an everyday left fielder, but can he do it? Yeah, maybe maybe he can. I think his role in Los Angeles was very similar uh, as a comparison, not exactly because of the playing time differences, but think of like a Jorge, uh, Jorge Soler type situation where the Dodgers had so much talent and so many iterations of lineups that, of course, you're going to optimize that lineup by not batting Jock against a lefty. And the Dodgers use like Kike Hernandez and Chris Taylor uh, against against lefties instead of Jock. So is that to say that Jock cannot hit lefties with increased exposure? No, that's not good enough evidence. And the only evidence you can get is if he gets consistent playing time. I, I hope he can do it. I think the Cubs signed him and gave him $7 million as confidence that he can do it. Uh, and getting Jock over Schwarber, I think, was a pretty demonstrative point by this front office that he can actually be an everyday left fielder. So I think it's worth following. And as Nico, not going back to Nico per se, but if Nico does develop, 
we've already heard that Chris Bryant might get reps in the outfield this year. And that means he might get reps in left field or he might get reps in right field uh, to give Jay Hay days off against lefties or whatever. So I don't think Jock's value for this team is dependent on his ability to hit lefties. I think if the Cubs infield like Nico or Bodie steps up and Jock ends up being a predominant right-handed pitching hitter, that's fine. You know, he can provide value that way. He can have at least a 360 weighted on base average, maybe. But I do think he gets a chance to start against lefties at the onset of the season. And from what we've seen so far, like I, I have a, a pretty bad spot for these former Dodger hitters, but I like what I see. I think he's fitting in nicely. This sounds like the guys really do like him, and I like the changes he looks like he's made, and he's blasting balls all over the place. I, I like it. I hope he does succeed, Corey. I would hope that you hope he succeeds. <laughs> I'm a little bitter. I'm a little yeah. bitter. <laughs> well, yeah. If you're new you to the it. podcast, Brendan and I don't care for the Dodgers very much, but it, we, we, you know, the the stink slowly washes off of him. Each, but I, I each do game he's I, out I, there. Yeah, I do like I do like what he brings. Yeah. I like the fact that compared to Schwarber and even compared to this entire lineup, Jed Horry made the point that he hits high fastballs. And that's something, like I said, like really no one else on this team does. So from a diversity standpoint, regardless of left-hander versus right-hander, having someone that can hit high pitches is a big deal. And so if he can't hit lefties like to the degree he can hit righties, at least he can hit high fastballs. And that might be one of the determining points that actually keeps him in against lefties, even if his numbers are not the best. Jock mentioned that at early in his start in Cubs camp that Jason Hayward was the first person to call him and welcome him to Chicago and, you know, just be that guy reaching out. Um, and watching them, you know, come off the field and how they're chatting around the batting cage and stuff like that. We also, I think, uh, one of the guys from Marquee, I'm, I'm blanking on which one, but was was tweeting during one of the games about how every time Hayward and Brennan Davis were out in the outfield together, they would come off the field and you could really see them chatting and Davis kind of, you know, picking up stuff from Hayward and things like that. And it, it's, it's, all I just want to say is it's like so clear sometimes. It's always been clear, obviously. I mean, it you know, it sort of started with the speech in Game 7 of the World Series, but it's it's always been abundantly clear at times. But especially in this spring and especially as the, the Cubs roster is changing in the, in the way that it is, it, we just get so many reminders of how valuable Jason Hayward is in, in so many different facets of the game of baseball, but especially the human one. And when you've got a guy like Jock coming over from another organization, you've got a young guy, a huge potential player in your franchise future in Brennan Davis, and you can just see the value that Jason Hayward is having out there. It's it's just something I wanted to remark on because it's especially like we're not at these games and we don't even get to watch all these games on TV, right? And still, just like a week into spring training, it's like, you know, you have so many different people just being like, man, Jason Hayward's like really an awesome dude. He's, he's such a valuable human being. Uh, and you just sort of see that in so many different ways. But I, I just thought of that because we were talking about Jock. But I want to, and just to, to finish on the offense, you know, you've got Rizzo, uh, like I said, dropping bombs. Uh, you got Javi hit his first homer today. And I mean, dude, we talk like, obviously this is a no brainer, but the, the swagger that that man has is really out of control. The homer he hit today, deep to dead center, the, there is 
I, I was talking about things that are like aesthetically pleasing from a home run hitting perspective. I, I don't know how you even want to categorize this, but Javi, when he gets into one and he knows it, and he does that little like stare and slow walk out of the batter's box. Today he was blowing a bubble while he was doing it. I, it's it's truly unbelievable, Brendan. How <laughs> just how he, he's just dripping with swagger. It's like it's really sort of absurd at times how cool someone can look playing the game of baseball. Uh, I mean. Look, Javi, the fact that he's hitting well and seems to be back in a good mindset, and a lot of his issues last year apparently were related to two factors that he talked about. The first factor was that you could not look at in-game video, and I was watching one of his pressers, I think from late August, just uh, out of curiosity, and the tone in his voice and the way he went about talking about how important those in-game videos were for him for adjustments it has to catch everyone's eye. So I don't know what the rules are this year, but I I think they might be able to look back at in-game videos. I, I'm, I'm speaking yes, no, a that, that's been rectified, yes. Okay, that's what I thought. So I think that's a huge boost. And then, of course, the second factor is having fans back in the stadium. And there there is a few... There's some few players in the league who need that. And... Some people really feed off that energy. And Javi, when he talks about that, from an outsider looking in, you can't ignore it. So whether Nico, if that doesn't affect him with fans or no fans, doesn't matter. If it affects Javi, then fans are important for him and they get it, it gets him going. And so the yeah. fact that you have both those back, I think could help Javi. Ultimately, though, really from like an actual like what's going on issue here, the, the, the main issue for Javi as well as the other, you know, hitters on this team has been those high fastballs. So if you just look over time over the last three years, KB, actually not Tony, but KB, Wilson, and Javi have just gotten blown away with fastballs up in the zone. And at times they've been able to hit it. At times they haven't been able to hit it. Last year, it destroyed the team. So for Javi to have that success that we saw in 2018, he's going to have to, like KB and like Wilson, Hit those high fastballs. So that's what you need to be looking out for. But in the fact that he can't hit them with a high degree of frequency, just having fans back, just having the in-game videos back, I think is going to help him quite a bit. Well, I I don't know about you, Brendan. I, I think I can speak for you here. But if you gave me the opportunity to bet on Javi Baez coming off of the worst year of his career in a contract year— as fans head back to the stadium, if you ask me, do you want to bet on that guy to be good? I'm going to bet the house on Javi revenge season. That sounds like a perfect recipe for a man with a vengeance uh, who, again, we just know is not the person that we saw in 2020. And Jake Arrieta, I think at one point in one of these media scrums that he did, kind of talked about the the video thing, because I, or excuse me, the, the fan thing. And, you know, that was one of those things where a lot of people last year would say stuff like, you know, well, every, all the other hitters don't have fans. You know, all the other hitters don't have in-game video. Video, but you got to remember, like some of this stuff affects people differently. And what Arietta was talking about was how, of course, they missed fans, and of course, they missed the ballpark experience, and how weird it was playing in empty stadiums, and the, the you know the sort of cavernous noise and echo and stuff. But he talked about how, as a pitcher. 
it's a lot easier to get into your routine because you're so used to not being in that routine for, you know, every four days. And then every fifth day, it's your day. You wake up, you've got, you know, the routine you have to go through and you have to be in that mindset to pitch. And you're just kind of used to that. And he compared that to some of the hitters where it's like, you know, you got to be there every day. You got to get up. And and some guys really need that energy and that that vibe in the crowd to tap into that. And, you know, again, like I know for some people, they're going to be like, well, everybody's playing in the same circumstances. But I think all of us know, like there's different things that, you know, some people like to listen to music when they go to the gym. Some people like to drink a protein shake to get hyped. You know, everybody has their different routines. And Javi is one of those guys who, you know, you can kind of see it. He clearly feeds off of those Javi, Javi, right? He, He feeds off it. And you know that that's fine. I, I I don't see anything wrong with that. So it's it's big news for him, and you know I I think everything just sort of lines up for him to have a big year. But let's switch to the pitching. Uh, I think you know to kind of close the door on the offense. You know we we know what we want to see from this group, right? We know the position that is the one we're all looking at at second base. Nico's doing his thing. And, you know, as far as the other guys, I mean, I don't know how many times we can say you need Chris Bryant to be healthy and perform like Chris Bryant, and you need Javi Baez to perform like Javi Baez. Those are the real keys, you know, and you're seeing these other guys hitting homers and, you know, they'll they'll end up looking like themselves. It's, it's, it's about those guys coming together and, you know, really just not performing like they did in 2020. Um, but especially in spring training, you know, you're you're not likely to see too much that is uh, really shifting your opinion on, on you know, guys like Anthony Rizzo or Jason Hayward, things like that. Like they're going to go out there, do their thing. They'll be ready for April 1st at Wrigley Field. But switching to the pitching side of things, uh, I will let you talk about Jake Arrieta. We saw Jake Arrieta pitch in a Chicago Cubs uniform this weekend, which was rather exciting. It was just one of those things where I think everybody's got pretty measured expectations uh, for Jake. I don't think anybody's getting crazy with that, but just to, I mean, I remember the way it felt in 2015, Brendan, and I don't mean to suggest that it felt similar, but there, there's just, you know, and everybody said it on, on social media, like there, there, there's, there's just something about Jake Day, man. I, I remember in 2015, when my mom would text me and say, hey, who's pitching today? And I would say, it's Jake, so they're going to win, right? And I was never kidding. And again, not what we're expecting here, but over this weekend, it was just nice to wake up again in a world where you get to say, who's pitching today for the Cubs? Oh, it's Jake Arrieta. (laughs) And there's his beard and that blue hat Mm. and blue jersey. And Mm, 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 mm. just sort of, it's just one of those things that just feels right, you know? So I I will let you talk about Jake Arrieta. And we have some other guys to talk about. Adbear followed Jake in that game and struggled, got hit around a little bit. Uh, But I want to start with Zach Davies because I think over the course of this offseason, and, and you and I are probably guilty of it uh, as the, the, you know, the the big you Darvish supporting podcast that we were, we still are, but, you know, in a diff, you know, more just like as a person, not as a Cubs player, obviously. But I, I think Davies gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. And what I mean by that is Zach Davies is a good Major League Baseball player. Uh, he is a, a very... 
he's an accomplished pitcher, and he is someone who is very capable of contributing a, a nice and successful season for this team. He had a really good outing on Monday, uh, went three innings against the Rangers, and actually had to throw more pitches in the bullpen because he worked through those innings so efficiently. And after the game, I was telling you, Brendan, that he offered up a quote that because he had faced the Rangers and was sort of familiar with some of those guys last year, having been in the NL West and they were only playing the NL West and the AL West, he said, yeah, I kind of expected that. And I, I, you know, it was just like sort of like a quiet, like subtle savagery. Like, yeah, I faced those guys a lot. I I figured I would get through them pretty quickly. You know, a lot of contact on the ground. Like he's, he's doing exactly what you want him to be doing. And, and I just wanted to touch on him a little bit because I think often when people are looking at this pitching staff, like, I, again, you guys heard the explicit episode, or if you didn't, we, you know, you can surmise what we were talking about when they traded you, Darvish. We, we were not and currently are not happy about it. But I think too many people look at this pitching staff as last year's pitching staff subtracted you, Darvish. And that's what we're going into 2021 with. And that's not really the case, right? You also are subtracting John Lester and however many starts Jose Quintana had last year. But it's not just a subtraction of you, Darvish. Zach Davies is a solid MLB pitcher. Um, in you know 2019, was a one and a half win player in a little under 160 innings. In 2020, in just 70 innings, he was a one-and-a-half win player. And twenty back to 20, 2018, only pitched 66 innings. But in 2017, almost a three-win player in near 200 innings, right? So again, he's not going to be you, Darvish, right? And I don't think Zach Davies is going to compete for the Cy Young like you, Darvish, did. But it's not as simple as... Darvish being gone and just subtracting his value, and that's what this pitching staff looked like. Zach Davies is good. You've already got Kyle Hendricks. We all know how great Kyle Hendricks is, one of, if not the most underrated players in Major League Baseball. And Davies is good. So I just wanted to take a second to talk about him. Like, again, similar to pretty much everybody on this team. I mean, I think you have to have measured expectations. Don't twist my words here, right? He's not you, Darvish. I can't really make that any clearer. But he's a good pitcher. And if he can put up a solid season, you know, that that is going to be a big deal for this team. And I think that this team in particular, the Cubs have had success with guys who don't throw very hard. Tommy Hadovy, Craig Breslow, this infrastructure, they know how to work with these guys, right? Jed Hoyer, like this front office, this coaching staff, they know how to maximize and game plan for guys that don't throw over 90 miles an hour. They've had success with it. And you also have a team that is set up to play very good defense in the Chicago Cubs. And Zach Davies is going to go out there like he did on Monday and get these hitters to pound weak contact into the ground and into the waiting gloves of Javi Baez and probably Nico Horner and Chris Bryant. They toss it over to Rizzo. You get your outs that way, right? And it's fine. It works. So I just wanted to touch on him a little bit because Monday's outing was really good and impressive and very efficient and quick. And I think it was just a good reminder that, you know, he was 
I think seen as you know basically a throw-in in in that trade. Everybody focused on the prospects and and what little we knew of them and how hard it would be to project their future. And and trust me, don't take this as a relitigating of that trade. Maybe we you know, look back at that trade in several years and are able to, you know, re-evaluate it. But I, I'm not relitigating it now. I'm just reminding myself and, and I guess everybody, Zach Davies is not just some throwaway, you know, player that's going to do nothing for the Cubs. He's a solid MLB pitcher and he's going to be a nice piece for this rotation. I think Davies, when you just take out the Darvish connection, I mean, he's a solid pitcher, as you said. Now, one concern, and it's fair for this rotation, is can they get enough whiffs? When you consider that you have Hendricks and Davies and Arietta presumably leading your top three spots, that's a lot of contact, and that concerns a lot of people, especially when one of those spots was filled by one of the premier strikeout pitchers for generation when you Darvish last year. So I, I get I get that concern. That being said, Davies did boost his K per nine from five to over eight last year. So he basically had a league average uh, strikeout rate with the Padres compared to when he was with Milwaukee. I need to dig deeper in that, but that's all to say just because Davies throws slower, similar to Hendricks, doesn't mean they can't get whiffs. And I think the difference between Hendricks and Davies is actually more pronounced than imagined. I think a lot of people just look at Velo and they see that Davies throws like in the upper 80s, mid 80s, like like Hendricks does. But the way those two go about getting their outs is different. I mean, Hendricks, for example, does not throw a cutter. Davies throws a cutter almost once every four pitches. Very different. And unlike Hendricks, Davies actually throws a changeup almost half the time. Hendricks, he has a great changeup, but he has a cutting changeup, a tailing changeup, a curveball, a sinker, a four-seamer. Hendricks is a very different pitcher than Zach Davies, and I think that's going to give a lot of hitters different looks, regardless if they're both throwing 86 to 88. But as the rotation stands now, I think you have to feel a little comfortable with Davies and Hendricks leading your top two spots. Is it ideal? maybe maybe not maybe you do want someone with more whiffs but going into the year I think that's fine I think it's formidable and I think if you have Jake come out and we'll see how he progresses but even if Jake provides league average value those are three spots that you can count on you know almost every day and then you can hopefully piece together the fourth and fifth spot and they have so many options right now to do that and you're hearing even about like Shelby Miller's new slider. Mm-hmm. And we're not we're not going to get into it today, but that's just a point of emphasis that Tommy Hadovy and Craig Breslow they are taking all of these pitchers that they acquired, and they're not you know, they're not scrapping what they did well. They're looking at what they can do to feel more comfortable to get the to get the best out of them. And I think even Shelby Miller is a good example because you're seeing that with with Trevor Williams. Trevor Williams. Was talking about uh, one of his multiple sliders. Apparently, I didn't know he had multiple sliders, but apparently now he does. And if that's new or not, we'll find out. But that's another point to follow. And so this is all to say that Davies, as a pitcher last year in San Diego, if he can replicate that with the Cubs, that's a sub three ERA guy with a with a strikeout rate that's league average. I don't care if he's throwing ninety five or eighty five doing that. I really don't care. And I think from my perspective 
there is no doubt that I have not even looked at Davies because it like triggers my you Darvish like love. Like yeah. I, I missed you Darvish. And so that's my fault. And so I don't even really know truthfully, like why Davies was so much better last year. And I, that's just because you Darvish is like not on this team, but it shouldn't be like that. I think Davies deserves more credit. I think he deserves more attention. And I think just hearing some of these quotes too, like I love his attitude and there's a reason why he slammed the Cubs every time he pitched against them. That I do remember, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think especially with Hendricks and Davies at the top, I think the Cubs can be one of those teams that's very frustrating to play at times. Uh, you know, I think going up against those two guys and what they're able to do, I, I can see some offenses leaving Chicago or, you know, on a road trip being just frustrated with how annoying it is to go up against those two guys uh, in particular, just especially the uniqueness compared to other pitching staffs that they're going to face. But but let's get into, as we wind down here, a little bit of what we saw on Sunday, which included Jake Arrieta and Adbear Alzali. I want to start with Alzali just because I think it's a little quicker, and then I'll, I'll let you tell everyone what you saw from Jake and what he said afterward. But it was a rough outing for Alzali, and he, he goes one and a third, four hits, five earned runs, two walks, no strikeouts, gives up a home run. Not a great outing, but yeah. I think these are going to happen, and I think that these outings, especially in the spring, are important for a guy like Alzali, and you know you don't want to see him get hit around like that. It was a lot of hard contact. It just wasn't his day, but these are the steps involved in in taking that that next step in his career and and you know owning a spot in the rotation and these things come with it and and it's important for him to experience this sometimes it's better that it happens in the spring and get back out there the next day and figure out what adjustments he needs to make figure out what he wasn't doing uh right and right the ship. And and I think mm-hmm. that everything that he's shown you, especially his willingness and eagerness to learn and have insight and wisdom imparted to him, I have every bit of confidence that he's going to be able to do that. Uh, so, it, you know, it's, it's disappointing, and I'm sure he was disappointing, pointed, in those results, but it's just a spring training start, and, you know, you, you got to you get knocked down, you got to get back up. I know it's it's extremely cliche, but especially for someone as young as him and who is at such a, a transition point, a, a crossroads, if you will, in his career in terms of taking that next step, these starts are going to happen and you, you got to make those adjustments. And I, I have every bit of confidence that he and this, this pitching infrastructure will be able to do that. And I think having the relationship that he started to build with Jake Arrieta is going to prove very important here. I mean, Jake can you know, Jake has been through all sorts of highs and lows in his career. There, there, there may be fewer, fewer guys that are better to sort of I- explain and, and have that as a, as a shoulder to lean on when that happens. Jake is, has been to the top of the mountain and he's had some bad years, right? So he, he's a great guy to lean on as far as, Hey, throw that one in the, you know, in the trash bin, uh, and get back out there. You know, you know, the adjustments you have to make and, that'll be that. So, you know, it's it's really just to say, like, it, it was not a good outing. And I think for someone, really, I just wanted to touch on it, you know, because 
he's got so much hype around him and you know it's 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 been such a, a fun off season and, and start of spring training with him and you know I think a larger portion of the fan base is starting to gravitate towards him as he's taking these next steps and so it's it's frustrating and I'm sure it's frustrating for him you know to have a result like he did the other day but it's just a spring training start and he, you know, I think you can tell, um, you know, whether it's, you know, when he's writing down things in his notebook, the work that he's, you know, seen doing with Jake and, and just the stride that he took last year in terms of completely, you know, sort of revamping his repertoire and coming back and getting better results. He'll be back out there and, and he's, he's going to write this ship. It's, it's, it's one and a third spring training innings. It, it doesn't matter. And, and he's going to get back out there and do his thing. I'm not worried about that start, Corey. I mean, or that outing by Alzali. It's it's spring training, and the guy is going through so many different changes over the last, what is it now, like seven months. This is bound to happen. And you don't even know if he's comfortable coming out of the, the bullpen. You don't know if he's... And, and to, actually, that's a good point. Maybe he will have to come out of the bullpen, and this is just part of the process of him getting comfortable in doing so. It's early March. He's looking fine. His command was terrible in that outing. It happens. And this, when you read about all these quotes from Tommy Hadovy and the pitchers like Trevor Williams and Jake Arrieta and everyone, it seems like they're all working on very distinct features of their game. And for Alzali, we haven't really heard what that particularly is, but last year it was him developing that sinker, him developing that slider, two new pitches, had success with it, and I'm sure he's still continuing to work on that. But there's one thing about Alistair that I, that I do love, and he's it's like he's really growing on me. Um, he is so detail-oriented. And the fact that he's, I mean, his first debut start, Corey, he, has, he had that notepad in the dugout, like writing notes in between innings. And just seeing his like social media and his off-season workout resume and his ability to go with Jake and kind of be mentored by Jake and trying to soak up as much as possible, to me, I don't really care if he gets shellacked in one outing when you have all of those other things going on in his current progression and development. And I think for Alzelite, I talk about Tyson Miller as being maybe one of the most interesting prospects. I mean, like Alzelai is almost, I mean, he's ready. Like he's big league ready. And I don't really treat him as a prospect anymore. I think of anyone on this team right now who's going to get a shot at the rotation. I think he has probably the highest ceiling, like even more so than Jake. And I love Jake. But if for, for Alzelai to throw 93, 94, 95 with a wipeout sink or a wipeout slider, and now he's a sinker, and he has that curveball that was his best pitch coming up in the system. I mean, this is someone who you can see the pitch lap having the greatest effect on. So one outing, truly do not care whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's fair. And, and I, you know, really, I, I normally, I think we, you know, wouldn't even look too much at, at the box score, but I just wanted to touch on that because again, you know, I think sometimes uh, it's, it's easy to get bogged down in results. And, you know, again, it wasn't a good outing, right? I, I read off that, that score line, but it, it's, this is what spring training is for. And so, you know, every now and again, you know, just want to add that periodic reminder, like it's okay. You know, guys are going to get, you know, knocked around like it's fine. You know, Alza Adbear will be back yeah, out there. He'll make yeah. these adjustments. He's going to be great. I, I have every confidence in that. So uh, talk to me about Jake. Go ahead. The, the floor is yours. 
thank you uh, to, to end this podcast. We might as no, well J- just have like a, a daily <laughs> yeah. segment on, on each episode. Like, okay, I it's mean, time for that. Brendan's Jake Arietta Corner. I love that. So, I mean, Jake, honestly, in his first start, like if you just look at who he was as a pitcher, he wasn't that good in his first start. But uh, for where he, where he is in spring, his actual first spring training start back with the Cubs after multiple years, he was averaging 92 miles per hour on his fastball, and that's pretty good for his first outing and well within his normal range, even fluctuating throughout the last three years. So I think that's encouraging. And then when you hear Jake talk about his outing, it seems like he was comfortable and that he liked some of the uh, competition that he was facing. And so, I mean, this one quote from from Jake that I love hearing was uh, this short quote, I was amped up pretty good, end quote. <laughs> that's that's that that's who Jake is. But he was talking about how he liked getting out there on the road, uh, starting off the game with two guys on base and immediately having to fight and get out of the inning, which he did. So the first two guys got on base, no outs, and he got out of the inning without giving up runs. And so that that's good to see for his competitive side. But he really only... Not only, but it looked as if, from my point of view, that he was heavily focusing on that fastball command. And I didn't see too many elevated fastballs being set up by the catcher on on his particular performance. And it looked like a lot of it was sinkers and fastballs on the outside portion of the zone, away from the zone. And you can really tell as a point of emphasis for, for Jake. And I think the command in the first inning, and even when he came back out for the second inning, wasn't wasn't sharp for him to to where he wants to be and so i think over time as he gets more comfortable that's that command's going to get better and as tommy hadavi said i think it was two weeks ago or a week ago now that once he does hammer down that command then you can start throwing more elevated sinkers and elevated fastballs and i think we'll end up seeing that a little bit more but a lot of this looked like it was just hey go out there throw a ton of fastballs Try to work on your command, get amped up, uh, have some you know competing mindsets, and overall for your first start from Jake, the velo very encouraging, the post game comments very encouraging, and just one of those things you have to monitor as as spring goes on is where is he throwing that sinker? How many times is he throwing it? Is he going to throw a slider more? Is he going to throw that change up which boosted? frequency from around 4% to 17% last year will we see more change-ups and those are the the focuses to really own in on and we didn't really see that in his first start it was more so just command of the fastball wasn't there next start out you know just keep monitoring those features yeah and I I think he had a quote from the post game that I think was a good one and you know sort of speaks to what we're talking about with spring training and you know making adjustments and things like that he said I just needed to get the foot down a little bit earlier arms in a good spot but sinking up that lower body upper body connection is something that I'm going to continue to work on over the next few weeks and that's what it's all about and you know it goes a little bit to what we were talking about with Adbear as well like this is what spring training is for. It's it's for getting yourself in physically, mechanically, the right spot, 
and making those tweaks from start to start. And things like that will happen in the regular season. It's not like a month is the perfect amount of time for everybody to get every part of their uh, body and and mechanics and everything in sync. But I just like hearing that from Jake. Uh, It's always good to hear the guys kind of point to specific things, especially pitchers. You know, this is what I need to be doing. This is where I need to be. And that's what spring training is all about, is getting out there, seeing where you're at, and then getting back on the mound and in practice the next day and putting it to work. And and that's what's it, what it's about. So day by day, uh, and we'll see what happens. But I, I think, you know, overall, uh, we'll continue to monitor a lot of these things and, and we'll continue to talk about some of these trends. But it, it's it's been a nice start to this spring. It, it's, it, it, of course, is one of those things where you need to see how it continues over the next few weeks and you need to see what carries over once April hits and these games count. But the the team looks good. You know, the, the guys are doing the stuff you want to see them doing. And I think it's it's at the very least, I, to me, I think it's hard to look at this roster, see how they're performing, at least so far, and, and not at the very least think that like this is a competitive team in this division. I, I, I would be very surprised if you're able to watch Anthony Rizzo hitting bombs and Javi hitting a bomb today and Kyle Hendricks doing his thing, like, and, you know, be super pessimistic about about this group to each their own right but I just think there's as always like there's a lot of talent here and we're seeing a lot of it and you know we'll we'll see if it carries over and and what it looks like over the course of 162 games but I I just I have a hard time not looking at this group and and day one thinking we're competing to defend the division title right where your expectations range either you know below or above that and how much is you know to each person but that I think is the baseline at least for me like we're showing up day one to win a division because there's no reason this group can't do that so we'll see how the rest of spring training goes we'll we'll keep you guys uh, updated on all of that Uh, but for now I think that's all that we have so enjoy the rest of your day. And again, you know, we're all looking forward to, you know, whether you're able to secure tickets for opening day or waiting to, you know, maybe more over the summer. But at some point, I, th- I think we can all maybe kind of look at the light at the end of the tunnel of the, the possibility of being back in Wrigley Field in a, on a nice summer day uh, in the beautiful city of Chicago, the ivy in the background and cheering on what I hope is the first place Chicago Cubs. So that is uh, at least something we can consider, which we didn't know if we would be able to consider uh, just yesterday. And, you know, of course, uh, over the course of this whole situation and, and winter. So that is a nice, a nice thing to look forward to. But we will talk to you guys again soon. As always, thank you for listening to and supporting the Cubs-related podcast. And as always, go Cubs!